0: Amen. Good morning, Life Church. Uh, my name is Colin. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, as you turn there, I just want to say, man, I really miss you. As an extrovert, as someone who needs handshakes and hugs, and to hear about your week, uh, I really miss that on Sunday mornings. And so I just wanted to say you're missed. We are really looking forward to the day when we can all come back together uh, ...and just throw a big worship party. And so as you're turning to Matthew chapter 21... Uh, ...I do want to say, as we're looking, we're going to look at the parable of the two sons... Uh, ...Jesus' parable, and actually a few weeks ago... ...me and Matt Perez were talking... ...and he encouraged me to kind of back up... ...and look at the whole uh, context of the section of this parable. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. Um, and before we dive in there, let's just go ahead and pray... And ask the Lord to speak to us today. Pray with me. Uh, Jesus, as we look at your word, as we just take this time to step back from uh, just a chaotic, unsure, uh, unsettling world. God, we ask for you to speak to us now. God, I ask for you to speak through me. God, allow your spirit just to open our eyes, open our ears to meet with you. God, to hear from you. God, we know your word is power. We know your word is true. We know your word is authority. So we just ask to be able to hear from it today. God, we know uh, that you're good. We know that you desire to speak to us. So we ask that you will just give us the ability to hear today. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. And so before we dive into verses 23 through 32 of Matthew chapter 21, a little bit of context. Where are we in the story of Jesus? Well, if you turn back just one page... Uh, you can see Matthew 21 the heading is the triumphal entry right that's what we usually sing on Palm Sunday we sing Hosanna that's uh, Jesus coming into Jerusalem uh, and he's really received as this new king right he comes in and they actually try the crowds try to physically make him the king of Jerusalem and uh, he declines because he's come to be the the king of the kingdom of God and they they missed it but he comes in Uh, They shout Hosanna. The very next thing he does is he walks into the temple and he says, this was supposed to be a house of prayer and you've turned it into a house of robbers. And he walks in and he runs out the merchants. He actually takes the time to go outside and braid a whip. Uh, He goes and he curses a fig tree, right? Which we read as pretty weird, but it's symbolic, right? Of Israel not bearing fruit, of Israel's religious leadership being barren. And Jesus curses it. That's where we are in Matthew chapter 21. So, as you can see, like Jesus is making some moves, he's doing some things that are starting to unsettle some people. So, let's see what happens. We're going to read verses 23 through 32. Here we go. I'm reading out of the ESV. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, "...I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, "...If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd. For they all hold that John was a prophet." So they answered, Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two Did the will of his father. They said the first. Jesus said to them truly I say to you. The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it. You did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Man, so much happened in such a short amount of time, right? Let's just start breaking it down. We're going to start in verse 23. Um, Man, God, we just ask for you to speak through us, speak to us through your word today. Verse 23, what's happening, right? This is this whole kind of awkward, tense, challenging interaction before Jesus' parable. Jesus walks into the temple, all right? Remember what just happened. He's coming to Jerusalem he curses the fig tree, right? He casts out these robbers out of the temple, or, yeah, the temple. He walks into the temple. The chief priests and the elders of the people come up to him as he's teaching and say, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Who are the chief priests and the elders? Well, the chief priests, they preside over the temple rituals, right? Anything that is correlated with the Lord, the chief priests are over it, right? We're in the temple of Jerusalem. That's, that's like the center. This is a big deal. right? These are the chief priests. They preside over all matters of the Lord in Israel. The elders are like the civil leaders. right? They're like the elder board of Israel. So they preside over civil matters. The chief priests preside over religious matters. The thing to take away is they both have authority. Right? They both have pretty significant authority when it comes to the, the nation of Israel. Right? They're viewed as both religious and civil authority. And we, can, we have to remember, they're literally in the temple. Right? This is the center of all like, religiosity. This is where God has been meeting with Israel right? throughout the whole Hebrew Bible. It was always centered in the temple, the temple, the temple. Right? The temple matters a lot, especially to the Jews. And so this, we have to remember the setting in which this is all taking place. What do the priests ask Jesus ...they say, by what authority are you doing these things? What things? Right, they don't actually confront Jesus... ...on his teaching. Remember, he's teaching, presumably, to Jews that are in the temple. He doesn't say, they don't come to him and ask... ...why are you teaching these things? They say, by what authority are you doing these things? Well, what things? Well, he came into Jerusalem and they received him as a king. Right? He cast people out of the temple. Jesus walked into the temple like he belonged there. They didn't know who this Jesus guy was. So they know he's claiming to be from God. He's claiming to be a prophet or something. These people treat him like he's a prophet. Right? There's all these rumors of who Jesus is. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's talking about this kingdom of God that's coming. And now he walks into the temple like he belongs there. They ask him... By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you that authority? Now we have to step back and realize that authority meant a lot to, to Jews, to Jewish leaders. Right? In rabbinic culture, right, the study of becoming a rabbi, you couldn't just one day decide to be a rabbi. Right? Someone had to give you that authority. Right? What authority are you doing this in and who gave it to you? Right? That meant a lot to rabbis. So for Jesus just to walk in, to receive Hosanna, to walk into the temple, to act like he belonged there, and to not have someone who has given him this authority would be really unacceptable and unprecedented for these Jewish leaders, right? They, that just would be incomputable for them. We know based on their response to Jesus' question, they're trying to catch Jesus in a trap of public humiliation, They're not trying to legitimately understand Jesus' claims. Jesus responds to their question with a question, right? He says, the baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? What do they do? They remove themselves, right? It says, uh, they discussed it among themselves. saying, If we say from heaven, he'll tell us, why didn't you believe him? If we say from man, we're afraid of the crowds. Matthew Henry, uh, he says... That their two main concerns were their credit among the people and their safety from the people, right? They didn't actually care about the truth. And for Jesus to respond to their question with a question was actually pretty traditional, like, rabbinic, like, Jewish rabbi discourse, right? If you remember from when we studied the book of Acts, right, over and over and over again, the book of Acts references the Old Testament, And the way that Jews would study the Hebrew Bible, right... ...they don't just read it by themselves, they don't read it quietly. They go and they debate it for hours and hours, right? If you go to a Jewish library, it's loud... ...because they're talking and talking and talking... ...trying to get to the true meaning of the text. So for them to push Jesus, who's authority? And Jesus says, I'm going to ask you a question. That's actually pretty traditional rabbi behavior. So the, the rabbis, they remove themselves from the conversation... Right, they talk about the pros and cons of, if we answer it this way, Jesus is going to have us in a trap. If we answer this way, the crowd is going to beat us up. So let's just say we don't know. Right? They choose the safe or like the coward's way out. They back out of Jesus' challenge. So Jesus says, hey, if you're not going to answer my question, I'm not going to answer your question. And again, we see Jesus rising above these attempts to trap him. Right, Over and over and over again, we see people trying to trap Jesus in, in a corner. They try to back him in a corner for who he says he is. Uh, and he always rises above it because he's God and he can do that. Um, I think it's helpful if we pause, we step back and look at the irony. Right, look at the irony of Jesus being confronted about his authority. We know if we look at Colossians chapter 1, if we look at John chapter 1, if we look at Hebrews chapter 1, we know that Jesus Christ is the one that holds all authority in the palm of his hand. Right? He was there at creation. He, he was there with God in creation. Right? We know that Jesus, Colossians tells us he holds all things together. Hebrews tells us he is like the literal image of God, the exact representation of God. And he's here in the flesh... ...in the temple, right, which is the symbol of God's correlation with man throughout all of history. And these Jewish leaders come up to Jesus and say, who gave you the right to be here? Who, who gave you authority to do the things you're doing? And he says, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> let's keep going. Uh, and as we keep going to see what Jesus says in response to this confrontation... Let's remember, Jesus kind of has two audiences right now. Right, Jesus' audience is... ...the chief priests and the elders... ...and it's also the Jewish crowd he's been teaching, right? Jesus was teaching in the temple... ...when they came and confronted him. So we can, we can assume they're all still there. Um, Jesus turns and says... ...verse 28, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. He went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go... A few things to note. When Jesus opens by saying, what do you think? Right? This traditional opening question, what do you think? And the closing question, which of the two did the will of the Father? Uh, it really implies a traditional Jewish like rabbinic parable. Right? Jesus isn't doing this like new, convoluted way of communicating. Right? This was familiar for Jesus to tell a quick, short story in a context where they can understand. That would be really familiar style of teaching. So he's He's kind of acting like he has the right to be teaching in the temple. Uh, The vineyard, right? Jesus says in his parable, uh, the father says, son, go work in the vineyard today. Again, we see that Jesus is using a familiar agricultural context for the background and the setting of his parable. Everyone listening would be able to picture a vineyard, right? They'd be able to picture probably their buddy's vineyard or their own vineyard or their dad's vineyard. Right? They're in a pretty agricultural-based society. Now, knowing that, knowing that's the context, whenever the first son says, I will not, right? we read it as, okay, the first son declined the invitation. Culturally and societally, that would have been unacceptable. Right? For the father who owns the vineyard to be asking his son, and notice he calls him son. Right? He doesn't say slave. He doesn't say servant. He says, son, Go work in the vineyard today. And for the son to look his dad in the eyes and say, no thanks. Right? The whole crowd would be like, uh, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> You're not allowed to do that. You can't just deny your father. Right? If you are, you might as well be the prodigal son and peace out. Right? Because that would have been societally and culturally unacceptable, extremely jarring for him to say, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind. Right? If you underline in your Bible... You can underline he changed his mind. He changed his mind, literally, can be like there's a few translations that, that Bibles use. Some say changed his mind, some say like had regret, some say repented. Right? We, either way, you get the image of repentance. Right? He's walking in one direction, he, he has a realization, he changes his mind, and he turns around and walks back towards the vineyard. And that's kind of the image of repentance. He says no. ...but turns around. What happens with the next son? He gets the exact same message... ...as the first son, right? So he can't chalk it up to like... ...he sweet-talked to the first son... ...and was rude to the second... ...or whatever. Right? He gives the exact same message... ...and really he kind of dignifies his children... ...by giving them individual messages, right? He doesn't just give them this blast text group message... ...of saying, go do this today. He goes to them each individually. How does the second son respond... He says, I go, and if you underline, underline, sir. I go, sir. Right, this is, the ex- this is the response that the crowd would have expected. Right, he responds politely. He responds obediently. He says, I will, dad, of course. Yes, sir. But he did not go. He does not go. He says yes. He says an emphatic yes. He says yes politely. And he... ...walks the opposite direction. I mean, can we just step back and appreciate Jesus' brilliance? Jesus is teaching in the temple. It doesn't tell us exactly what he's teaching. He's, you know, theoretically minding his own business... ...teaching some, a crowd. He gets confronted by, like, the top leaders of Israel. And he's like, what do you think? A man had two sons. Which one did the will of the Father... Let's see how Jesus himself applies it to his context and situation. Verse 31. Jesus asks, which of the two did the will of his father? They, the crowd, said the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Verse 31. Let's pause there. I mean, pretty, it's pretty obvious, right? Jesus questioned, which one did the will of his father? It doesn't take much thinking to realize it's the one that actually did ...what he was asked. Why does Jesus bring... ...tax collectors and prostitutes... ...into the conversation? Here's what Leon Morris... ...in his commentary of Matthew... ...this is what he says. Uh, Leon Morris says... ...tax collectors and prostitutes... ...are like archetypes. Descriptions for wicked people... ...outside the true servants of God... ...whose careers cut them off... ...from the perceived true religion... ...of the Israelite leaders. Right? Jesus says, literally those who their career path, their career choice... ...you thought separated them from the kingdom of God... ...they're actually going into it before you. Which, I mean, would it be the most jarring and ridiculous claim that he could have made? And again, don't forget, he's in the temple talking to the chief priests and elders... ...with a crowd of Jewish worshipers watching... Jesus says, the very ones that you think are separated are going in before you. Why? Jesus tells them why, verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. In the way of righteousness literally means, like, in the way that is approved by God. Or in the way that is sent by God. Right? And, the, and the, the chief priests and elders know this. right? They know that all, I mean, the Bible tells us that a lot of Judea, a lot of Israel went to John and repented and believed his message. That he was, like, preparing the way for the Messiah. And if they would have made the connection, right, if you look at the Hebrew Bible, if you look at the prophets, when they came, right, how many of them were either coming from the wilderness or had a significant wilderness experience? Right, they came and they proclaimed a gospel of repentance. Turn from your sin, turn back to God. The way that you're going is leading towards death. God is calling you back to himself, right? That's prophet after prophet after prophet. So John truly came in the way of the ancient Jewish prophets. And much of Israel responded. But Israel's leadership chose to turn its back on that message. What does Jesus say? You didn't believe him. The tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. Even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Saw what? Right. I had to circle that and ask myself the question. What did they see and not respond to? The power of God making breakthroughs in the lives of those who were cast they thought were cast far off. right? When you see the tax collector repent and start giving people's money back and following Jesus and living a lifestyle dedicated to the kingdom of God. When you see the prostitutes stop living in prostitution and they're following this guy named Jesus, they go and get baptized by this guy named John. ...they're living a kingdom lifestyle. When you see repentance after repentance... ...after kingdom breakthrough after kingdom breakthrough... ...after people turning to God... ...and the Jewish leaders are like, not real. Nope, it didn't come from us. He's not the Messiah. And we see over and over and over again... ...when they are presented, when they are confronted by... ...the reality that Jesus is this long-promised, foreshadowed, prophesied Messiah... ...they choose to withdraw. And they choose to get angry. And they choose to get bitter. And ultimately they plan his murder. They uh, continually choose to be right over repenting. They continually choose to stay firm in their mindset... ...and to stay firm in how they've always viewed things... ...instead of repenting and turning and realizing Jesus is the Messiah... ...that he is who he claims to be, that he has the right to walk into the temple... ...as he said, it's his father's house. At the core of this parable, Jesus is calling the Israelite leaders on their hypocrisy... ...claiming to be a people that live for and serve God... ...yet being the very ones who rejected God and rejected God in the flesh as the Son... ...as the Messiah who they had spent their whole lives studying. Jesus is calling them on their hypocrisy. And that actually sets up the context for the next few parables that we're going to be studying. Right, Jesus is in the same environment, the same setting. And you'll see in Matthew, um, spoiler alert, Matthew chapter 21 verse 45... When the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived he was speaking about them. (laughs) When they heard what he was saying, they realized he was talking about them. So that's our parable for today. The parable of the two sons. What does it mean? What does it mean for us today? We can read it in its true original context. It's like, yeah, Jesus really got those religious leaders. He really showed them what's for lunch. And we would completely miss Jesus' point of teaching in parables. Right? When Jesus talks in parables, he always presents us with characters, with a story. Right? And inevitably, we are forced to reconcile those characters and that story in our very lives. Right? So we have to read this and hopefully we're spurred to ask a few questions. The first question is... ...which son am I? Right? When I hear this story, which, which one am I? Am I the son who with my mouth said, no. No, God, I won't do what you want. I won't go do what you've asked me to do. I won't believe this. I won't do that. But as you were walking away... ...did something change? Did the Spirit start to work on your heart... Did you realize the beauty, the call, the power of the gospel? Did you realize that while you were still in sin, Christ died for you and turn and walk back towards God? Not of your own doing, right? None of us would say that it's because we were smart enough or because we were religious enough or even because we prayed enough, right? Because God came after us. Right? Have you turned? Are you the son that has repented? Or... This is what Charles Spurgeon says... ...of the second son. The second son said, I go, sir, but he went not. These people do not go. They talk of repenting, but they do not repent. They speak of believing... ...but they never believe. They think of submitting to God... ...but they have not submitted themselves to Him yet. They say it is time to break up the uncultivated ground... ...and sought the Lord. But they do not seek Him. It all ends in mere promise. And we just have to ask that question of ourselves today... ...when we are confronted by the reality of this parable... ...is have I repented? Have I turned from following myself as God? From following myself as Messiah and turned and truly seen Christ and truly seen God as who he is and seen myself as who I am? Or am I still walking in the same direction? Saying with my mouth, I love you God. You're great God. I believe in Jesus. He was a great guy. And are you saying those things as you're continually walking away from the kingdom of God? And I think there's a religious warning in this parable, right? For most of us, right, we think we live pretty good lives. We go to church. We're involved in church. I give, I give 11 percent. And if our life doesn't cause some big scandal, right? We don't, you know, go to prison, or we don't murder anyone, or we don't commit adultery. Then we think I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good, right? I know who Jesus is. He's cool. He's the Son of God. And there is the danger of religion that Jesus is calling out in this parable. That with our mouths we will say, yes. With our mouths we will say, Jesus is cool. And our lives will walk the complete opposite direction of anything Jesus has called us to. The kingdom of God that he died to usher in. Right? The very idea... Of Jesus laying his life down. To offer you life. We're, we walk away from it. There's a real danger. In religion. That Jesus is addressing this parable. But on the flip side. How do we not hear this. As a morality based. Works based parable right. Jesus says hey the one that did it. Did the will of his father. I, mean, I think that. Matthew chapter 7, right? Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not even the ones who did works. Not the ones that said, but Lord, look at all that we did in your name. Look at all the demons we cast out. Look at the people that we healed. Look at the blind who can see. We're one of your people, right? And Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of evil. I never knew you. Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. So, but they did the works, right? They cast out demons, they healed people. Jesus says, I never knew you. So, Jesus is inevitably connecting knowing Jesus with the will of the Father, right? John chapter 6 tells us. Jesus says the will of my Father is to believe in the one he has sent. So it's not about how much work you do. It's not about if you've accomplished enough to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's about have you believed Jesus is the Christ? Have you believed that Jesus is the Messiah? Does your life reflect that you actually believe Jesus is the Son of God? Or is that information, as James is referenced, just like, like a... School fact that George Washington was real. And he was the first president or whatever. What's for lunch? Right? Do you say with your mouth, I love you? Or does your life reflect that Jesus is God? That his claims are true? And right, let's remember this first question that they asked Jesus. What authority do you have to be here and who gave it to you? So the question that I have for you as we end is whose authority are you living under? Are you living under the authority of God, of Christ, this risen Savior King... right? ...who leveraged His authority, not to damn us, but to redeem us? Who was the true King who deserved to be welcomed by Hosanna... ...but willingly walked onto a cross and was willingly murdered... ...to redeem and rescue His people? Is he the authority that your life is living under? Or are you living under your own authority? Are you saying, I'll live under your authority, sure. And walking in the complete opposite direction. When God presents you with the invitation to do his will. To believe on, to believe in this Messiah that he has sent. To respond in repentance and submission to the king. Will we repent? Have you repented? Or are we walking away from the kingdom? Friends, this is the good news of the gospel, right? That that Jesus did not leverage his authority to banish us, but to draw us near. That we would have never done it on our own, right? But he came out. He sought after us. He died long before we could have ever turned to him. The simple question is, are you living as if he is the true king... Or are you sitting on the throne of your heart? Let's pray. Jesus, help us to realize that you are the true king. That you are deserving of all honor, of all praise, of all glory forever. God, may we hear this parable and not be... God, help us not be guilty. Help us not be pushed in a direction uh, away from you. God, help us be drawn in. Realizing that this king laid down his life for a rebel like me. God, you you sought me out in my sin, in my shame as I was running away from you. Knowing I could never say yes, right? Knowing I could never be good enough to turn to you, you still came after me. God, help us respond rightly to the message of the gospel today and all of its implications on our lives. We love you. It's in Jesus' name.